Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Goodness. Interesting stuff today. Well, it's always interesting, but really interesting stuff today. So uh, that said, again, I would like very much to say thank you that this last pledge drive was just phenomenal. And they've all been phenomenal recently. So um, God bless you for your generosity. But let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit a right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table, the Bible. And we are in the book of Revelation. Um, and uh, this is the angel, or well, the letter to the, well, let me start out with this. The, there's kind of a, a first book of the book of Revelation, a first part, in which there are letters addressed to the seven churches. Uh, they're prominent churches in, in what was then called Asia, but the Asia province was strictly West, Western Turkey. It wasn't the whole big continent that we think of as Asia. So this, this Roman province of Asia, which was a Greek-speaking part of the world and a very ancient uh, and civilized part of the world, had a number of cities in it. And there were seven cities. And uh, we read that, that um, the, there were... Um, Letters addressed to each, you know, sections of, of Revelation addressed to each church. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. Now, angel, what does that mean? I have no idea. I have some guesses. Some people say it's the bishop of the church in Sardis. Remember, angel means messenger. That's what the word means in Greek. Angelos It's a messenger. And it's the literal translation of the Hebrew word malach, which means messenger. So, to the messenger of the church in Sardis. What's that? You figure it out. I suspect it is uh, the bishop, uh, because uh, um, if it was a guardian angel, I don't know that God would be rebuking him. The one who has the seven spirits of God. I thought there was only one Holy Spirit. And the seven stars says this. What are the stars? God alone knows what the stars are. I mean, I would like to theorize on them, but... But um, the one who has the seven spirits of God, remember, seven 
is, is a symbolic number. It is the sum of four and three. Four is earthly perfection. Three is heavenly perfection. So seven is complete perfection. So the, the one who has the, the perfect spirit of God um, and the perfect uh, star. Uh, now, what, what, what are stars about? Well, this was an era that talked about, well, I don't want to say divination, uh, but but the stars were thought to be heavenly bodies, literally things in heaven. So uh, um, it, it's it's again, I I, I, I kind of suspect it's the heavenly messenger, you know, that the angel is being the angel of the church in Sardis is being rebuked, which would make me think it was the bishop um, or. It might be a, a, a prophet, but the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars, the, the, those stars were, were rooted in heaven. So I know your works. Well, enough theorizing. Let's go on to something a little more solid. But, you know, that's remember what I said. And I'm bound by that, too, that, that these are visions. And you can't say, well, this is that and that's that. The, the visionary doesn't even really understand what he's seeing. At least the visionaries I've known, uh, they don't really understand what they're saying. They're as perplexed as the hearer is. I know your works that you have the reputation of being alive but are dead. Be watchful and strengthen what is left, which is going to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now remember that we just talked about the seven spirits and the seven stars. That's heavenly and earthly completion, perfection. So your works aren't matching up to it. Uh, if you're not watchful, I will come like a thief and you will never know what hour I come upon you. Um, uh, this is kind of interesting because Sardis was a very, very impregnable city. It was built on essentially a knife-like ridge. It was, it was a walled city on top of a, a cliff and you could only get at it from one side. And... Uh, that was heavily guarded, uh, heavily walled. And so the people of Sardis thought they were, they were impregnable and they, <laughs> they were feasting one night and, uh, 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 a soldier in an attacking army realized there was kind of a, a crack in the cliff and you could climb up that crack over the wall. Since that was an impregnable part of the wall, it was unguarded. That wasn't the Romans. That was, I believe, uh, uh, King Croesus uh, of Lydia, centuries before Christ. Well, that's shameful that they, they allowed uh, a soldier, the soldiers like thieves in the night, to crawl over their, their guarding wall. It didn't happen once. It happened twice. I believe it was the Romans who did the same thing. So... These are people who didn't learn from history. They didn't, they didn't learn from their own mistakes. So uh, he's reminding them that, uh, uh, of their own history. And I think Sardis might have been famous for the wool trade. Uh, and that might be the reference to the, the garment in white. I'm not sure, but I, I think so. Uh, I will never erase. The victor will thus be dressed in white. I will never erase his name from the book of life. Um, I will acknowledge his name in the presence of my father and his angels. So then he goes on to the letter in Laodicea. And you'll notice that 
there's a big gap here. We read Revelations 3, 1 to 6, and uh, then Dash 14 to 22. So we've, we've left out the entire letter to the Philadelphians, and I will talk about that in the letter segment, because I got a letter asking me about that. To the church of the angel in La- to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this: the Amen, the faithful and true witness, says this: I know your works. Now there are some some wonderful wonderful one line zingers here, and I'm going to just look at them. Uh, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the source of God's creation, says this: I know your works. I know that you are neither hot nor cold. Be so you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That verse is going to be in my word of the day today. I'm rich and affluent and have no need of anything. You don't realize that you're, you're, you're wretched and, and poor, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The, the blind is interesting. Um, apparently, Laodicea was quite a city, and it was, it was a, a great market town. They were very prosperous. Uh, as a, as a center of trade, but they seem to have had a specialty in the production of eye ointment. You know, and in tropical countries, eye disease is quite common, eye infections, and uh, Laodicea seems to have been famous for its manufacture of of medicinal ointments for the eyes. And so that's why he's saying, you think you're good, you're selling your, your, your eye goop. Well, buy ointment to smear on your eyes that you may see. Uh, those whom I love, I reprove and chastise. That's a good line. That's one to remember. Those whom I love, I reprove and chastise. So we've, we've had this, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Uh, those whom I love, I reprove and chastise. And then this line, which is one of the most beautiful in, in the scriptures, of which, in which there are many beautiful lines. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will enter this house and dine with him and he with me. It's just beautiful that, that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And there's a very famous painting of Jesus knocking on a door. Uh, and you'll notice that there is no doorknob or door handle on it. It can only be opened from the inside. And this is this is a, a very important idea that, that uh, I remember I always used to be told, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He won't enter in unless you invite him. So most of us are busy inviting the devil in by our sinful actions, but the Holy Spirit needs an invitation. This is fascinating to me that God so respects our own personal sovereignty. We talk about the sovereignty of God when he is sovereign, but he defers his own sovereignty and he allows us to be the sovereigns of our own souls. And, uh, you know, so many people talk about predestination, and I've never seen a verse in Scripture that says you're predestined to heaven or hell. You're, you're, there's a, distant, a difference between destiny and fate. We don't believe in fate. We do believe in destiny. The Lord has a plan for our lives to which we are able to say yes or no. And this is the amazing thing of God, uh, about God. He humbles himself to honor our free will. And why, I'm always telling you, because free will is the one great requirement for love. If I have to love you, I cannot love you. If I'm forced to love you, that isn't love. Uh, love must be free. And thus, God respects the sovereignty of the individual human person. And I think that's an important thing about the cross. 
to think that if what we believe is true, and I'm counting on it, that that we believe God allowed human beings to restrain him, to bind him. He was he was restrained on the cross. He, as I always tell you, he couldn't lift his hand to swipe the flies from his face. It is the most amazing Christian doctrine, and we're so used to it that we don't think about it. But it is the most, perhaps the most amazing doctrine of, of Christianity is that our God is humble and will allow God, or uh, God will allow human beings to do him harm. What? The all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-sovereign God who is unchanging and eternal will allow us to do him harm. What do you think the cross was? That wasn't harm? Well, he was God, and, you know, it was, he, he knew he'd rise from the dead. No, he genuinely suffered on the cross, and he suffered not just from the the nails and the thorns and the, the lashing and the, the suffocation of the cross. He suffered from the abandonment of those whom he most loved, who, for whom he had given his life in the world. The disciples did not stand at the cross, with the exception of St. John. Mary Magdalene and uh, a number of women, and of course our Blessed Mother, stood at the foot of the cross. But those to whom he had dedicated his life for three years pretty much hid under their beds. So this is amazing. I stand at the door and knock. He's not going to knock down the door. He may knock persistently, but he's not going to bang down the door. You have to say, yes, Lord, I will open my mind and my heart to you. You know, uh, uh, Jesus says elsewhere that that uh, I, I would that my servants be where I am, you know. And Jesus says to Peter on the water, come to me. Jesus doesn't come to us. He invites us to come to him. You know, people say, well, I want Jesus to come into my life. I've chosen these sins. I've chosen this way of life. I've chosen these things. And I want Jesus to accompany me because I want him to love me. He doesn't do that. He says, you come to me. You walk on the water. You come to me. Uh, this idea that somehow I, I have no moral freedom, that, that, well, God made me this way. And no, he didn't. <laughs> You know, and if he did, you can still say no, uh, that, that um, for the alcoholic to say, well, I, I have a serious disease. I can do nothing about it. You can do something about it. You can at least try to do something about it. God is pleased even with the effort. And there's so many addictions and preferences and conditions in our life. And we pretend that we have no freedom. And the point is, we do. I stand at the door and knock. I'm not going to bar, bar, knock down the door. I'm just going to knock. Come to me. If, it is, if, 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 uh, if it's just you, bid me come to you across the water. And Jesus says, come. And he says, where I am, I wish that my servants would be. And that's the cross. We need to go to God. He has come to this earth. He has come halfway. I said yesterday about uh, uh, someone sinking in the quicksand. And this, uh, someone comes through the the forest with the express intention of pulling you out, he extends his hand to you and you lift your hand to him. Your hand lifted to him, as I said yesterday, is faith. It's trust. He's not going to pull his hand back at the last minute. He's really going to pull me out. His hand extended to you is grace. You know, there are people who talk about not being saved by a work. 
That would be like the person in quicksand folding his arms and saying, no, 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 for me to extend my hand to you would be a work. Lord, you're going to have to save me, pull me out of this quicksand all by yourself. I'm not going to do a thing. Well, guess what? You're going to drown. Our hand extended to him is trust. It's faith. His hand extended to us is grace. We get to keep the door locked or we get to open the door. We get to come to him across the water. And if, if we begin to sink, he will lift us up. So it is not simply, um, this is not salvation by works. This is salvation by grace responded to in a work of obedient faith. So, you know, this idea of, of salvation by faith alone, it just isn't biblical. And the last, the only place that the phrase faith alone appears in the New Testament is in the letter, St. Paul or St. James letter, and where he says, so it is clear, brothers, that we are not saved by faith alone. That's Bible. All right, let, let me move on. I want to go to the gospel uh, quickly. Um, and, you know, you can call earlier because I'm, I'm going to try and do uh, more calls today. I want, I want to do more calls than letters. So, so don't put off calling 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. But let's, let's quickly look at um, uh, the story of Zacchaeus. We all know the story. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and hated by his neighbors because tax collectors, they at the time of Christ, they were essentially thieves. They they had a tax farming system. I think there had been some reforms just before the time of Christ, but it was still a very, very um, bad system. What happened is uh, the Romans would raffle off or, or, or do an auction for, say, tax collector in the town of Jericho. And uh, uh, somebody would say, I can collect $5 million in taxes. And then another guy comes up and says, I can collect $6 million in taxes. Well, sold. The position is sold to the man who's going to give us $6 million in taxes. And, of course, he was given the authority of the Roman government and the appropriate Roman soldiers. And some poor widow would come in and say, I can't pay what you've assessed me. He said, well, sell one of your kids. you got eight of them. Uh, that was the thing. The problem is, if you collected more money than you had told the Romans you would pay, you kept the surplus. If you collected less money, you had to make it up from your own funds. So it was you had to make sure you got that tax money. So you were just... A person who sold his kinsmen and his neighbors into poverty. And it wasn't the Romans who collected the tax. It was Jews collected from Jews, Spaniards from Spaniards, Greeks from Greeks, and so on, uh, as, as much as possible. They didn't want people hating the Romans. They wanted people hating their own. Very clever. Well, this was Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus couldn't have been that bad because he says, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. Uh, if I've extorted anything, I shall repay it four times over. So that means if you do the math, he could only have extorted one eighth of his wealth, which is bad enough. But uh, uh, if he was gave away everything he had, he would only have extorted one eighth of his wealth. Uh, so and Jesus says today salvation has come to this house. Uh, it, that 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 uh, that salvation was was dependent on repentance. I think that's an important thing to remember, that salvation was dependent on repentance. So, that said, let us go to a break, and we'll be right back, and uh, we'll have... I, I, there's one letter I want to read. 
but 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. receive hundreds of your phone calls every day thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester today. An Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. A hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles. You can hear the whistle Oh, that was a folky song of my youth, 100 miles, uh, the uh, <laughs> GCD7th, you know, I was a, a great guitarist, I could play GCD7th and E minor, so, oh, oh, the 60s. Boy, well, let's 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 go to to letter. I just there's one letter I do want to do today. Remember, you can call in. It's not letters. It's letter. Um, but uh, do call in at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. That's eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. And where did I put this letter? It was from. Um, oh, good grief! Don't tell me I. Ah, here it is. Something horrible wrote, has happened. No, 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 no. Nothing horrible has happened. Um, somebody wrote in and said, "Why does the reading skip over verses seven to 13? Well, that's a good question. No, the first reading, and you know, I, I, I don't know, but I have a theory or a possibility. Now, you know, I've shared this a lot that that when you when you go to the readings, uh, you have immediate access to them at the site, the bishop site of the USCCB, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, who are meeting as we speak, and we of course need to keep them in our prayers. Um, oh, did I mention the, the, uh, the, um, you know, I want to do a bit of a shout out here because, uh, um, well, there are a number of things that before I launch into this word of the day, there are a couple of things I need to do. Uh, you know, um, Cale Clark is doing something very interesting. He's, he's doing an eight episode examination of, um, old covenant controversies, uh, you know, that, that, uh, the key issues that that are mentioned in in the Old Testament, evolution and history and violence and sexuality and all those things that people say, well, the Bible is outdated. Oh, I don't think so, and I don't think Hill thinks that either. So, uh, do look, do do go to the website and and find that. It's it's um, Kale is a, I think he's certainly, <laughs> I think it was more of a scholar than 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 I am so uh, you know he cheats he he prepares but moving on I'm kidding uh but let's get back to the the problem with the reading you can always go to the USCCB site the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and um you can click on the letters that tell you the citation uh for the reading of the day today uh, right across from the bold print, large bold print words, reading one, you see RV three colon one to six comma 14 to 22. And of course that comma means that verses seven to 13 are left out. Well, let's click on it and see what verses seven to 13 say. 
And verses 17 to 13 are the letters to Philadelphia. And that isn't the one in Pennsylvania. It's another of the seven cities to which the book of the, the introduction to the book of Revelations was addressed. Uh, um, and of course, the word Philadelphia means city of brotherly love. And this was in Western Turkey, the original one. I think there are a number of Philadelphias in in the Roman Empire. So the Holy One, the true, holds the key of David. That's that's Jesus. Who opens and no one shall close, who closes and no one shall open, says this. Uh, I know your works. Uh, you have limited strength, yet you kept my word and have not denied my name. It's, it's rather complimentary. Uh, however, behold, I will make those of the assembly of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. Now, I'm always telling you, and I believe it's true that that the um, uh, in general the the abbreviations of the readings are done so that we get more uh, scripture, so that we get the essence of the passage, and uh, it's to invite us. You know, it's kind of like a buffet. You eat a little bit of something, and you say, "Oh, I'm going back for more of that. That was good." That's the idea. It's sort of the great buffet of Scripture is open to you. But you can't help but suspect that there are certain times that political correctness does get in the way, you know, and when people tend to leave off that bit in in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians about women being submitted to their husbands. You know, people get all upset about that, women being submitted to their husbands. Read the whole passage, as to the Lord. No one would have questioned that uh, um, uh, a woman was under the control of her husband. But St. Paul qualifies that one of the most important words in the Bible, I'm always telling you, is as. In other words, don't be submitted to your husband as to a slave driver or as to a, an owner, which is what the Romans viewed marriage as. It was an ownership of property. Uh, the Greeks viewed it that way. No, as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That, you know, there's a very fine book uh, um, that um, uh, I'm, I'm reading again. Uh, it was originally The Seven Revolutions. Um, let me look up the current title of it. Uh, the Seven Revolutions uh, uh, of, the, of the Early Church. Well, oh, I'm looking it up. I've almost got it. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm getting all sorts of different things. This is uh, by Mike Aquilina and, uh, uh, and uh, 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 Jim Papandrea, both wonderful scholars. They collaborated on the expanded version of this book, How Christianity Saved Civilization, and, and I think it says, and must do so again, How Christianity Saved Civilization. Uh, the original, which is, I think, a shorter version of it, is uh, uh, Seven Revolutions. And this one is How Christianity Saved Civilization and Must Do It Again. It's an excellent, excellent book on the background of of the times. And it's very foolish of us to judge the scriptures on the political correctness of our times, um, the most radical, uh, the book makes the point, the most radical possible thing that that the church could say uh, to an ancient Roman or Greek was, husbands love your wives. That would have just utterly, I mean, that was immoral to love your wife. 
You're supposed to own your wife, control your wife. Of course, there was love and affection between people, but that wasn't the ideal. Roman comedy is full of examples of people who are in love with their wife and they're mocked for being so. It's weakness to be in love with someone. You, as a Roman man, were supposed to be the dominant and, and, and powerful partner in any relationship you had, and you could do what you want. Um, sex was an itch that you scratched. That was it. And a woman was a kitchen appliance uh, or a domestic ornament that could also have children. You married for political reasons. You divorced for political reasons in the upper classes of Rome. Of course, men and women loved each other by accident sometimes, but that was not the ideal. For us, mutual affection between husband and wife is the goal. So, people who are shallow look at that passage from Ephesians and just say, how dare he, how dare he? We're coming at it from a Christian perspective. If it wasn't for Christianity, uh, the book makes the point, if it wasn't for Christianity, no woman would expect to be equal or expect to be loved because Christianity said women are equal in the affections of God to men. And the goal is um, mutual affection and sacrificial love between husband and wife. But for a man to love his wife and children, well, that was considered a weakness. So that's all in one word as love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Uh, <clears throat> so well, what does this have to do with the current reading? Well, there is something that may not be politically correct in verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the assembly of Satan who claim to be Jews, but are not, and are lying. Now let us remember Judeans. And there was a great, great antipathy between those who backed the, the religious political establishment in Judea and the Christians who clearly had departed uh, from the... the uh, you know, claiming to be the temple rebuilt and Jesus saying that this temple is going to be destroyed. Those were fighting words. So it's in there. And, I, you know, I think that, that um, I don't know that they took it out for reasons of political correctness, but, um, you know, uh, uh, political correctness changes. So who knows? Someday people may put it back in for reasons of unfortunate political correctness. I don't know if that's the reason they took it out, but they took out the letter to the Philadelphians, which includes that verse 9, which is difficult to understand. Um, you know, looking at the the early church fathers, um, that, that Jews had an amazing set of exemptions from the Romans. They did not have to worship the emperor. They did not have to... Uh, um, serve in the military, which actually the military was kind of volunteer anyway, but they, they, they couldn't be conscripted for the military uh, because they would they would just sit down on, on Sabbath and not move, kill them. That's all. I mean, it's admirable. Uh, but the, the real problem was that this this exemption from uh, from emperor worship was a, a, a carefully guarded uh, uh, privilege. And all of these Greeks were saying, we're Israelites now. No, you're not. You're not following kosher law. You're not being circumcised. You're eating pork. You're not, you're not, you're not Israelites. And so this antipathy grew up because uh, um, there was a, a kind of jealousy over, over privileges. And um, that antipathy really festered in the first century. And then when, when Jerusalem was ultimately totally destroyed, 
the church really divorced itself from Judaism, from, from the, the religion of the synagogue, and that wouldn't have been till 120 A.D. The temple was destroyed in 70, but sacrifices continued intermittently, and not all of the... Uh, um, um, Israelites, Jews, whatever we want to call them, were, were thrown out of the land. But in 120, the, the, uh, after the Bar Kokhba revolution, it was over. Uh, no, no Jew could enter what had been Jerusalem. Uh, so, you know, to judge the current situation or to judge that situation and that writing by our sensitivities now you know, I mean, anti-Semitism is, is reprehensible, but to, to pretend that, that history didn't happen is a very foolish thing. If we forget history, we are condemned to repeat it. So let us not forget history, even when it is a little unpleasant. All right, um, moving along, let us take a break. We will come back uh, in just a few minutes and we'll have a word of the day. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Flexible Premium Life Insurance. For less than $12 a month, a 40-year-old can get a half million dollars of coverage. Go to RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester today. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. And you better start swimming or you sink like a stone. All the times they are times they are changing oh they've been changing since i was a boy i wish that they would settle on which channel they want to watch all right let's go to our word of the day very quickly the word of the day of course comes from the book of revelation the uh, uh um when jesus says uh unless you are hot or cold uh i will spit you out of my mouth um that's that's kind of quite a thing to say and the word lukewarm in greek means lukewarm it means exactly that tepid uh, um, but the word spit is kind of interesting uh it isn't spit it's vomit uh, i will vomit you out of out of my mouth so i just wanted you to 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 hear that because uh it, it just i mean the idea that we can discuss the lord you know we can, you know, we, we, St. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's just amazing to me that God uses such emotional language when talking about the people that he loves. And, uh, well, it isn't spit, it's vomit. All right, with that pleasant thought, let's go to phone calls. There is something the matter with your fin. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Who do we have on the line? Dear voice in my head. Kevin from La Crosse. What can I do for you, Kevin? Hello, Father. I have a question about the Mass mm -hmm. and the mystery of faith. When we proclaim that, yes. uh, when we eat this bread, um, at that part of the Mass... The host, the bread, is no longer bread, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, as, as I see it. And I, for some reason, last year, it's just, I don't know if it's Satan popping this into my head. Um, you know, how, how can it be both, or is it really? So 
I know, I believe it's it's the true presence. Yeah. But why do we say when we eat this bread? Well, because Jesus refers to himself as bread. Very interesting. My flesh is real food in John six fifty five, and my blood is real drink. Um, uh, so that's the idea uh, that that Jesus talks about his his very body being being. Uh, Bread in John six thirty two he says Moses gave you not uh, gave you uh, not that bread from heaven but my Father gives you true bread from heaven, so Jesus referred to his own body in that context as bread. Uh, uh, you know this is poetry; it's symbolic, and of course the word mystery, uh, uh, the word mystery in Greek means secret, like the mysteries of the rosary. What's mysterious about the Blessed Mother visiting her cousin Elizabeth? Well, the secret is that yes, within sure. the Blessed Mother is the Savior of the world, and within within uh, Saint Elizabeth is the forerunner, uh, John the Baptist, and uh, this is a secret. So when you look at the secret of our faith, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, the world looks at, at bread and 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 the cup is a cup of wine, but we know the secret that it isn't bread, it isn't wine. So that's the idea. If you understand that the word mystery in that context means secret, then it makes a lot more sense that that bread is secretly. Yeah, that'll help me. That'll help me uh, during uh, during mass next time. Good, sure. good, good, good. Thank so you so much. There you go. Well, glad I could be of help. Thanks for listening. All right, whom do we have now? Ah, Mary Alice from Columbus. What can I do for you, Mary Alice? Good afternoon, Father. How are you? Good, good. Um, I love your program. A friend told me about Relevant Radio about a year ago, year and a half ago, when things were just going crazy in the world and this country. So you, <laughs> uh, you and Father Rocky have been a wonderful source of well, not, only, not only humor, but a lot of really good stuff. So. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm honored um, to be put in the same sentence with Father Rocky. He's a smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, y- your sense of humor has helped me quite a lot, well, good, Father, good. really. Well, thank you. I'm honored. Um, uh, okay. Um, I have an acquaintance. He is an avowed atheist. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I feel so compelled. I have very, very few Catholic friends here in Columbus, mm-hmm. or if they yeah. are Catholic, they don't tell me but this guy works at the health food store where you go he believe he does not believe that christ even existed he does not believe in the concept of eternity he doesn't believe in history you mentioned history uh, Uh a few moments ago and i even gave him um that uh, i found a youtube clip about with pascal's wager and asked him to go and watch that i yet I have yet to find out whether or not he has looked at that. But, um, and one of my brothers says, Mary Alice, just stay away from the <laughs> stay well, away he, from people like he this. He doesn't but. want to believe. He doesn't want to believe um, because he wants to do what he wants to do. I think he's probably right on spot that he knows that if these things are true, there will be moral moral expectations of him. And that's what he doesn't believe in. Uh, that, that, um, you know, I would say to him, I would, I would, I would say to him, well, this is the last thing I'm going to say. But of course, there's a God. God exists by definition. Um, the greatest thing that exists is God. If the universe is is God and somehow self-creating, then well, that's a, a mindless, personless, unfeeling 
collection of elements. That's God, the greatest reality. The question isn't, does God exist? The question is, what is the nature of God? What we Christians believe is that a man, Jesus of Nazareth, claimed to be from heaven. And he told us what God is. And I think it's beautiful. And I'm choosing to believe in something so beautiful. And I don't know why you insist on believing in something so ugly. That's that's what I would say to him. Okay, he does not even consider history coming into play at all. I said to him one day, I said, Jared, I, I've never laid eyes on George Washington or Abe Lincoln, yet I know that those men walked on this earth one sure. day. We have yeah. plenty of evidence. But he yeah. doesn't buy it. But no, just, that's fine. He doesn't want to buy it. Okay. It's not that he doesn't buy it. He doesn't want to buy it. Say, well, if that's yeah. what you want for your life, good. Okay. I want something better. All right. And maybe someday you want something him, better. But, yeah, if you say to yeah. him, I, I want something better. And if you want something better someday, look me up. Because I found okay. something is wonderful, it, and that's it, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. Is it a true statement? I did say to him, finally, the last time I spoke with him, um, I said to him, Jared, the day, the moment that you take your last breath here on earth, you are going to meet up with our Lord. You're going to see him face to face, and yeah. he's going to judge you. Is that a fair and true statement? I mean, I would say I would say instead of he's going to judge you because that will just confirm him in his in his paganism. But I would say you're going to look at Jesus and it'll be like a mirror looking at who you really are. Mm. It'll be like a mirror. Mm. You know, you're going to when you die, you're going to look in a mirror and you're going to see who you are. Yeah. 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 So that's what how I would have approached it, because he he, you know, he doesn't want to believe. So. I would say, Jared, uh, you choose, well, he doesn't even want to choose to worship God in his own way. Say, you know, I, I found something beautiful, and I hope you find something beautiful, too. Now, may I have those vitamins that I ordered? You know, that's that's all I do. You know, you've done your best to witness to him. And when you can't speak Christ, I always say, you have to be Christ. Next time you go and tell him a joke. Why not? All right. It'll do sure. as much good yeah. as, as anything you've said so far. <laughs> and telling him a joke okay. will make him wonder what you're up to. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Okay, Very brother. good. Thank God bless you. you. God bless you. <laughs> okay. You thank know, you. before Bye-bye. I go to the next call, I want to mention that we want to thank Stella, who is listening in California. She donated her Oldsmobile. So you can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car today. RelevantRadio.com slash car today. All right, who do we have now, dear voice in my head? Jeff from Burnsville, Minnesota. What can I do for you? Um, I have a question. Um, thank you for taking my call, by the way. Um, I'm the only Catholic in my family, and I okay. moved to a new area about six years ago, so I really don't know a lot of people here. Yeah. Should I worry about having a Catholic Mass at my funeral? Or um, because no one. Yeah, yeah, you should, you should, you should. It's it's uh, uh, you know, uh, it, first of all, it's your right as a Catholic, and and it's very, uh, you know, even if no one goes to it, the angels and saints attend it. So I I would I would I would uh, put in my will that I want mass said for the repose of my soul, you know. And who knows, oh. somebody may come to it and be moved by it but more you know people i say well funerals are for the living no they're not funerals are for the repose of the soul of the deceased 
So uh, yeah, I would I would put that in my will. Uh, you you will stand before uh, the throne of God and hope that angels and saints and people you love are standing with you. So I would do that. Does that help a little? That helps. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right. God bless you. And, and hang in there, God brother. Bless you. Hang in there, brother. You got a whole oh. family of a billion people. What? <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. God bless. Whom do we have God now? Bye. Dear voice in my head. Frank from Illinois. What can I do for you, Frank? Yes, Father. Good afternoon. Enjoy your show immensely. Thank you. Thank you. I was wondering if there's uh, what were the function of synagogues around the time of Christ, and what do mm-hmm. you attended them on the Sabbath? Say that again. Uh, what was the function of a synagogue in the time of yeah, Christ? And were there were there synagogues everywhere? Can you just give me a brief? Well, very, very interesting, very interesting. Synagogues were not Old Testament concept. You don't find any synagogues in the Old Testament, and a Jew is not obliged to go to a synagogue. But a Jew is expected, or was expected, when the temple still stood, to go up to Jerusalem on three pilgrimage feasts, uh, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Pentecost, and I believe the Feast of Passover. Uh, The Jewish religion was celebrated in the home with the family. When the temple was destroyed and they were exiled to, to Babylon, many many of the Jews were exiled to Babylon, they kind of discovered a way to be an Israelite without a temple. And they, they met together in, that's what synagogue means. It, it, means uh, um, uh, it means a place of assembly. That's all it means. Sun is with and agogain means to, to, to gather, uh, to gather together. It's a gathering place. And it was a place where they could kind of, like I know back in the old days when the north side of Chicago was more German, they would have these um, these soccer football clubs, you know, and these these sort of little gathering places and the Stuttgart, you know, Fußballverein, that kind of thing. And, you know, people from Stuttgart would come and they'd watch their favorite team on uh, television and they would, it was like they were back in good old Stuttgart. And that kind of was one of the functions of the synagogue. It gave them a sense of identity as worshipers of one God. And uh, it became a custom by the time of Christ. If you weren't in Jerusalem, and even if you were in Jerusalem, you had a synagogue. For instance, uh, there was a synagogue of the freedmen uh, that was, I think it, it was full of people from North Africa uh, in Jerusalem that we read about in the Acts of the Apostles. So it was a place of gathering where you could pray and study. In fact, is in modern Yiddish, a uh, synagogue is called a shul, which means a school. That's where you go to study scripture. Uh, you don't study scripture in the temple. You make sacrifice in the temple. So does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Good day, Father. God God bless. bless. Thanks for listening. Whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Steve from Philadelphia. What can I do for you? Hi, Father. Um, I heard, actually I heard on on relevant radio, one of the hosts made a statement that there was no explanation. They said that the belief that when the Cardinals meet to select a new Pope, that they are not guided by the Holy Spirit, that that belief is a pious Catholic belief. Well, we hope they're guided by the Holy Spirit. But really, what, what you know, uh, the idea that the Holy Spirit picks the next Pope, no, the Cardinals, the, the, the pastors of the major churches in Rome, the Cardinal churches, 
uh, they uh-huh. they pick uh, the Pope, and the Holy Spirit does the best he can with what we give him. There have been some very bad popes in history, like uh, 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 Rodrigo Borgia, Alexander the Fourth, that kind of thing. Uh, um, was it John the Eleventh or Twelfth? One of those medieval Johns. They were just horrible. And to say that well, the Holy Spirit picked him. Well, that's not true. Now, the whole, I have heard uh, uh, from the <laughs> I hope don't don't get too near the radio. I just sneezed. Everyone, where was I? Uh, I I have heard people. Well, I heard from Cardinal George that that there was just a real sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the conclaves, and I think that's true. But but um, to say that the Holy Spirit chooses the Pope, that's not quite accurate. The Holy Spirit stands by the Pope, not allowing him to say anything that is egregiously heretical in an infallible way. So I don't know if that explains it. That's good. Thank there you, you go. Father. Yeah, and and the, God the, bless the, you the, on your sneeze. Thank you. Yeah, the Holy Spirit <laughs> is a promise made to the Church, not not. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think Mormons. Uh, they believe that uh, they have uh, the 12 apostles and one of the apostles is picked as a prophet and the prophet will go up to his prayer tower and he speaks for God. We don't believe that about the Pope. The Pope doesn't speak for God. He he strengthens, his job is to strengthen the brethren as um, as Jesus said to Peter and to assure the unity of the church and a uh, very important function. But it isn't, it isn't, uh, uh, it isn't a kind of a, a, an automatic prophetic utterance. So, whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Ken from Joliet, what can I do for you? Hello, Father. Uh, yes, uh, I'm a convert to Catholicism, Protestantism for about 20 years. Ah. But one question that's always perplexed me, I've never been able to figure out, why is it that uh, Protestant like theologians and scholars and such, I'm not talking about the rank and file in the pew, but uh, or scholarly people haven't come to the Catholic Church, considering all the information regarding the early church fathers and uh, other documents that are readily available. Well, you know, it's fascinating that there are probably lots of reasons, but I look at somebody like Dr. Hahn, or, or uh, Jeff Cavins, those people, they lost friendships, they lost relationships, they lost their jobs when they came to the Catholic Church. Uh, it's a very heroic thing. And, you know, I, I joke about we all know there was a, a Persian carpet at the Last Supper because it's in the Da Vinci painting. <laughs> that, you know, when we get used to an idea, letting that idea go is a very hard thing to do. And... Great minds don't do it. Uh, Einstein had a terrible time believing in an expanding universe, and I think he finally gave in and said, yeah, it looks like it's expanding, and he was a smart cookie. So once some, we have something fixed in our mind, it's hard to get it out. Well, that's not true, though, with Drew. Mr. Open-Minded, if, as far as I'm concerned. Don't go anywhere. He's coming up, and he'll be praying with you.